Today, we will talk about analog missions, where a situation is recreated down here on Earth, which will recreate some conditions that we might experience in space in order to help prepare for long-duration missions. And to do this, we talk to Brittany Phillips, who's heading to Mars this week. Uh, well, I mean Hawaii, but yeah, she's going to be part of the crew of Valoria 3 for a simulated trip to the Red Planet. Please continue to get in touch with your thoughts on what we're up to. We're at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or leave a review on your podcast platform. And don't forget to hit that share button. It really does help us out. But right now, please enjoy episode 50 of the Space and Things Podcast. Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 50 of our podcast. Emily, it's pretty dark there. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> Um, I'm currently in the apocalypse right now. <laughs> Apparently, I was not aware of this at the beginning of our show. No, it's raining real. It, it, the weather got just turned into garbage here. <laughs> Tonight is taco night. It's Tuesday. And I'm looking out and I'm like, am I going to have to swim? Like, am I going to have to <laughs> steal a boat and go to taco night? <laughs> so I'm basically sitting here recording this in the dark. Yeah, we keep hearing some thunderclaps. So uh, if, if you can hear anything in the background, that's that's what's going on. <laughs> anyway, Emily, I, I heard a little rumor that you might be going to Houston this weekend. Is it true? Yes, it is true. Uh, a, a couple months ago, I, I got... I kind of bit the bullet and i was like man you know i really want to go to houston and i'd never been there in my life <gasps> no way no i've never been there i think i've flown through there a couple times but that's it but i'd never visited there which i'm embarrassed to mention i've never been to johnson or anything like that so i just kind of bit the bullet i booked a hotel room uh i have a bunch of masks because i'm definitely masking up and i'm vaccinated so i should be fine but i'm gonna be safe and I got my plane ticket, so I am going to Space Center Houston this weekend. I bought my tickets there. I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit this. Mainly, I'm going to see the Skylab mock-up uh, there. Of course you are. I've seen all the other Skylabs, and that's, I think, the last one. Complete the set. Yes, I wanted to complete the journey, so this weekend I'm completing the journey. So I'm extremely, I'm so excited. Oh, my God. And I've never been there. I'm hoping to go to Frenchies and just kind of hang out if you know and stuff like that uh, it'll be fun i'm really excited about it yeah fantastic you'll, you'll also complete the set for the of the saturn fives as well awesome that's awesome wow i did not realize that yeah and i think they have um god i know they have a shuttle in the sca there am i am i correct in thinking that yeah so they've got um they've got one of the mock-up shuttles uh, yes. On top of the uh, jumbo jet that used to carry the the shuttles around, which is pretty cool, and they've got um, a, a new exhibit there. I think that they've got a Falcon Nine rocket. Sweet, a used Falcon Nine rocket, which I wasn't, I haven't seen yet. Actually, it wasn't there when I was there last. But they've also got the Apollo Seventeen command module and the Gemini Five spacecraft, which was uh, Gordo Cooper and Pete Conrad's uh, mission, I think. Yeah, the one where they uh, they stayed up there for eight days. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It probably smells quite special in there, but <laughs> yeah. I can't believe anybody would stay in there for more than like a day. Oh my God. But yeah, oh, I know they stayed in there for eight whole days. <laughs> and they have, uh, they've got Gordo Cooper's um, Mercury capsule as well. 
Oh, wow. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Um, I'm, I'll be real. I'm mainly going to see the Skylab there because the way it's oriented, you really get to understand how large of a volume it was. You know, yeah, it's massive. I can't yeah. wait. I'm gonna. I'm. If you hear screaming, if anybody hears screaming in the continental United States and the contiguous United States, it, it's it's me seeing the Skylab this weekend. <laughs> I'm so excited. All right, let's uh, let's crack on, shall we? Yes, let's get on with the show. And from every window, we have a really spectacular view of the Earth, and as well as the. Uh, what surprised me, the real, real blackness of space. I don't think I've ever seen black as it is out here. We've been wanting to talk uh, about human analog missions for a while now, and we were very lucky that one of our Patreon subscribers, Brittany Phillips, has been announced as a crew member for an upcoming mission in Hawaii. So we asked her if she would be willing to join us to talk about it all. So we've mentioned this before in the podcast, as she was fundraising to help get there, and many thanks to those who helped her out as well. But enough from us. Let's start with this interview. Yes. So, Brittany, uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, we know that your schedule is is probably extremely busy right now in the in the run up to your mission. Before we talk about that, though, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm so excited. Um, so um, I teach high school engineering uh, right outside Nashville, Tennessee, and this is my third year teaching in this specific school. And before this, I taught chemistry and physical science. Um, and then before I was a teacher, I actually spent six years active duty Air Force and was stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. And then when I left active duty, I joined the Tennessee Air National Guard and did that for a few years when I went back to school uh, for my teaching degree. And so my undergrad is in behavioral science, and then my master's is in teaching, which is where I got my teaching certification. And now I'm back in school uh, for mechanical engineering. Oh, yeah, of course. You're back studying, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, yes. Very cool. So where did your love of space come from? My love from space started when I was really young. Uh, I think actually there's a picture right behind me uh, at Kennedy right there when I was in the fourth grade and my grandma took me. Um, But my stepdad was big into flight. Um, He was a helicopter mechanic in the army and he also was a helicopter mechanic um, for the air care, so like the life flight, and um, taught some classes. And so I just grew up around flying. Um, We even had our own plane that he rebuilt growing up as a hyper-pacer. And so I've gotten to fly in that quite a bit. Um, But he always told me to look up. And so I looked up even higher and (laughs) and we'd watch the shuttle missions growing up. And so it was just something really cool. And then what really kind of lit my fire, I guess, would have been the Falcon Heavy launch back in um, 2018. It kind of brought a whole new aspect to it. And from there is where I kind of got started uh, in social media and and getting into connecting with other space enthusiasts. And and it's provided a lot of great opportunities for me. Yeah, because on social media, you're known as future teacher in space, which, uh, yeah, yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. I love that you're putting it there. Right, you're gonna go. You're hey, gonna go. There's I'm no question. Going to happen. There's no mm-hmm. question. So let's 
move on and talk about this mission you've got coming up. Tell us a little bit about High Seas. What is High Seas? So High Seas, what it stands for is the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation. That's where High Seas comes from. Uh Um, And they actually do at this location both Mars and lunar simulations. Um, And it's run by the International Moon Base Alliance. And so... Um, I've heard of analog missions being referred to as kind of like dress rehearsals or practice runs or um, kind of testing to see different aspects of what um, different missions could be like on either different planets or, you know, satellites like the moon. Tell us a little bit about your, well, as much as you want, not a little bit. <laughs> Tell us as, as much as you want about your your mission and the people who are, are going to be your crewmates. So our mission, Valoria 3, is a Martian mission. So we are going to be simulating living on Mars and working on Mars, which is so exciting. <laughs> um, and so our um, commander is Dr. Michaela Muslova. And she is the um, high seas director, actually. And so she is well experienced in analog missions, um, not only through high seas, but she's been able to participate in some other ones. Um, She also um, teaches at the International Space School that she she was just in Spain doing that. And so she had a long trip over from Spain back to Hawaii for our mission. but really excited just to learn a lot from her. Our um, communications officer is Serafina Nance, and she is well-known on social media. Um, She also has her show Constellations on Seeker, uh, and she's written a children's book, and I believe she has a book deal uh, for another book as well, but She'll be running all of our communication stuff. So any of the tweets or Instagram posts that y'all will see, um, she'll be sending to our mission control. And then mission control will be the ones that are posting it. Um, Next up, we have uh, Alicia. And she is our operations officer. So she will be kind of um, Michaela's second hand, um, just helping make sure everything is running smoothly. Um, throughout our mission. And then we also have Nils and he is our um, biological officer. So he'll be doing a lot of the um, research for specific biological things, helping make sure life support stuff's going well. Um, And then that's me. It leaves me. Um, (laughs) I am going to be our engineering officer. And so what my duties will entail um, is uh, kind of keeping us alive, uh, making sure that our habitat is running, um, making sure our CO2 levels aren't getting too high. Because we are completely off the grid, everything is simulated just like we would be um, on another planet. And so all of our power comes from solar arrays. And so I have to monitor all of our power consumption and make sure that that's going well because we can't control weather. And um, just like on Mars, if there's a dust storm, um, we might have to go in power saving mode. And so I'll be the one that's kind of controlling all of that. Um, Watching our water levels too, because we're not going to be tapped into anything. So what we have is what we have. And so we have to make sure that it's very important that we are um, being responsible with that. 
And then um, just kind of all of our other equipment, which includes our EVA equipment for our spacewalks, um, making sure that all of that is running in, in clean and clean and in working order. And so um, I kind of have a lot of stuff to do, but I'm really excited about that. And um, it's, it's just going to be a wonderful experience that I'll get to share with my students. Yeah, I love this. So how long, how long is this mission? So it's two weeks. So we'll right. spend two full weeks um, off the grid. Um, like I said, all of our power that we have is what we can get from the solar panels. And it'll be, we have a little bit of storage. Um, so for overnight to keep our life support stuff going. And then if we do have dust storms um, and then our water is limited. So uh that means showers are limited. Oh, dear. <laughs> so we'll have, oh, I think, boy. 10 minutes is our time um, per week for showering. So I've gotten lots of baby wipes. <laughs> and, um, and then um, we have a compost toilet. So oh, uh, boy. that's going to be, I've, I've, luckily, I've used some in some off the grid camping that I've done. Um, but it's it's a unique experience for sure. Absolutely. I mean, this is crazy. So essentially, you're on Mars. If you go outside, you have to be in a spacesuit. And to communicate with the Earth, it takes forever. How does that work? Absolutely. So um, from the moment that we close our airlock, we are on Mars. And so um, communication, we have a mission control, which is run by volunteers. And they will be doing all of our things. So we'll be sending them our reports. We'll be sending them our communication stuff to get posted. Um, and that's who we'll be communicating with. And because, like you said, we're simulated like we're on Mars, we'll have like a 20-minute comms delay between when we, like our stuff will get there and then we get it back. And so uh, all our communication is via email. And, and you can contact your family or does everything have to go through mission control? Um, we can contact email uh, uh, through email. Um, the only things that we have to do through Mission Control are our daily reports. And um, then Serafina will be sending them our social media stuff. Just like the real thing. Yes. This is so cool. Um, so, so how did you get involved in, in this? Actually, I first um, read about it in Kelly Girardi's book, um, which came out last November. Um, her book, Not Necessarily Rocket Science, and she talks about her experiences on analog missions. And so uh, I've read that book a few times and I'm going through taking notes, but I immediately started researching analog missions and to see what they are. Um, because, I mean, yes, my, my dream is to one day go to space, but like the experience that this is going to bring for my students uh, is just going to be incredible. Like I said, I teach engineering. And so kind of giving them that real world application and kind of showing all these other opportunities is a once in a lifetime experience. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, but through uh, researching the different ones, I found high seas. And, and so I put in an application. And so with the application, you have to send your resume. Um, you have to send some potential project ideas because we all get to do our own research as well. Nice. And then just hope that, hope that you're what that a specific mission needs. And it's all based off of your uh, credentials and your experience. 
But just like with anything else, um, the mission needs dictate who gets selected in that aspect as well. Yeah. So congratulations for being selected because that must have been a pretty big moment for you and, and huge for your conference. It's like that affirmation that you are good enough, that you are worthy of being amongst these people and in terms of pursuing your future dream of going to space, that you're in the right direction because you're getting selected for these kind of things. That's, that's huge. Oh, absolutely. I, um, I'm pretty sure I cried when <laughs> I got um, asked to join this mission, getting to see who else was going to be on this mission with me. Everybody is so incredible. Um, and so it's like, yeah, th- that's me. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is, and I'm, I can make a big impact just like they can. And I'm qualified enough. And, you know, a lot of times uh, I deal with like imposter syndrome and stuff like that. And Kelly has actually been really great sounding board, um, kind of mentor. I feel like through this, I've talked um, through the application process and everything. I've been like, Hey, this is what I'm doing and kind of keep her up to date. And when I got selected, she was like, yes, this is you. And she's always been like, apply for the things that you don't think you're qualified for. You probably are. I still can't believe I'm flying out in the morning uh, to go to Mars. Like, it's just, it's <laughs> mind boggling. That is so exciting. So yes. how are you? Uh, how are you feeling? Um, I'm super excited trying to get all my last minute stuff in. We just started school. And so... <laughs> Getting my students in the routine and then be like, hey, I'm leaving um, is kind of a little um, nerve wracking, but my students are great and they are all super excited. Uh, a lot of my students I had last year and I was talking to them about this while I was going through the application process. So they've been through, they'll be with me throughout the whole process of it, which is really cool. And then I have three kids of my own, so getting them ready for me being gone you know, it's only two weeks, but they're all kind of younger. Uh, my oldest, I'm missing her birthday is this Saturday. Oh. Uh, and then, so I have an eighth grader, a sixth grader, and then my third grader. She's, she's kind of a little upset about it. She's, she's really going to miss me. She's a mama's girl too, but um, they know that this is a dream for me and they have been so supportive as well as my husband have been so supportive throughout this whole process of me applying for these things and and working toward my dreams. And, and actually my students are really what kind of were like, Miss Phillips, you need to do this. Like with me going back to school and everything, they're like, you know, you're always telling us to follow our dreams and helping us get prepared for that. They're like, it's your turn. And so it was, it was really cool to have them, you know, encourage me through it as well. That's so cool. That's that is awesome. so cool. And, and and what are you hoping to to get out of it other than, than obviously enjoying the experience? What, what are you hoping to bring back? Um, so for my personal project that I'm bringing, um, I'm bringing some of the lessons that I actually teach in my classroom. Um, and the big one that one of my favorite ones that I do is looking at energy and looking at energy applications, energy sources, and kind of finding alternative ways to do that. Um, And so we talk about like electric vehicles and stuff like that. But one of the big things that we discuss and go through is the hydrogen fuel cell. 
And so that is what I will be studying. I've got this little guy that I'm going to be taking with me um, and it's a hydrogen fuel cell. So I'm going to be taking distilled water and um, using some little solar panels to um, provide the, the electricity for the electrolysis where the um, water molecules actually get split into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, and then using that hydrogen fuel to power things. Um, the activity that we do in my classroom, we make little race cars, um, but I'm just going to be using a small breadboard and some LED lights um, and then like a multimeter. Because when you're in Mars, everything you have, that's it. And anything that you can use in situ re uh, resource utilization for is highly important. And so just the more opportunities that we have to create fuels and resources, the better. Uh, and this is cool because it makes hydrogen fuel and oxygen, which we breathe. So it could help with um, your life support services as well. So with my research and it being the curriculum that I teach, just giving students that real world or out of this world application <laughs> as to what you can do with the things that we're learning. So to kind of give some more of that buy-in as to what we do and why we do it, but also showing them the possibilities that they have. And I'm going to be doing like a little video journal um, diary type thing at our school through our career and technical program education program, which is what I'm in with the engineering. We also have TV and film and TV and film is going to be taking my stuff and kind of compiling it together. We're actually getting to make this kind of a cross curricular thing, which is really cool, but just to excite my students. Um, you know, like I said, in, in 2018 is when my fire kind of, got lit for this whole future teacher in space thing. And um, it was because a lot of my students didn't even know what the International Space Station was. And it has been in existence. It's been in orbit since before they were born. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to be into space or anything for the things that are happening in space to have an impact in your life. And so mm -hmm. just to bring as much awareness to all that as I can, um, I'm, I'm really passionate about that. And so this is just a unique and really exciting experience uh, that I get to do to, to raise awareness. Absolutely. And it's really cool to have, you know, women representing engineering right now. That's awesome. How do you think we can make these analog missions relevant to everybody, not just space people? So space, like if we think about the International Space Station itself for us right now, um, Every dollar we spend on research or any of that stuff on the space station, we get like $7 back in return, that spinoff stuff. Each year they come out with a huge catalog of all the research that they're doing that impacts life here on Earth. All of these are, things are important, even if you're not a space person like, like we are, because of these unique environments that, that you're in. It provides different opportunities to advance and develop things that help us here on Earth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it crazes me how few people know about this. Anyway, um, you've mentioned a few times about your students and how important they are to you and how they're a driving factor in, uh, in what you're doing and how you wish to inspire them. So I, I know a little bit about what you're up to. So can you please tell people 
about Summit Aerospace. Yes. So Summit Aerospace, Summit's the school I teach at. And uh, Dave's asking this because he actually has one of our shirts. I do indeed. Awesome. Um, The curriculum that I teach is Project Lead the Way. And through that, they have a bunch of different courses. And um, with that, the courses that I teach, I teach um, Principles of Engineering, which is kind of like an overview um, of all the different disciplines and kind of like a mini physics class as well. Um, we get into a lot of things there. Uh, and then I teach a senior capstone class where they work on a big engineering design project the entire year. And we kind of work on some next steps preparations for what they're going to do once they graduate high school, uh, like finding mentors and things like that. And then my aerospace class. Last year was the first year that we had it, and we're the only one in our district that has one, so it's kind of like a big thing. Um, But yeah, I teach aerospace to high schoolers, and that is just the coolest thing ever. Um, I get to teach about both the aeronautics side, so inside the atmosphere, and the astronautics outside the atmosphere. We look at the physics of flight. We look at orbital mechanics. We even do control systems where we can make uh, rovers and learn how to program them and all that stuff. So I don't want to say it's my baby, but that's my baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we have a lot of fun with that. So I'm in year two of that here and, and they're so excited. We get to shoot off rockets, which is another cool thing that they get to design and build. And so it's something I wish I would have had. When I was in school, I was just about to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> I wish we'd had that. You know, um, we had like the shop class and the home ec class and things like that. But this really cool thing that we have here um, and that Tennessee has, and I know some other states have it as well, but is this career and college technical education. So we have all these different things and students can pick a focus area And kind of go through that to see if that's something that they'd be interested in. So they get that, you know, that entry level experience. It's also really cool. And I I love getting to do what I do because I get to help prepare them for whatever is next. And, you know, some people that may not be college. Um, I went to a semester and a half of college and I dropped out. I enlisted in the Air Force and I was like, I'm never doing school again. And here I have three degrees I'm going back for my fourth. Um, I did the same thing when I was in high school. I was like, I, when I got out of graduated high school, I was like, yeah, I'm never going to school ever again. And then I joined the Navy and then I got out of the Navy and I was like, I got two degrees somehow. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you you leave the service with the degree and then, you know, you get your GI Bill and you're like, well, might as well use it. And it was nice because <laughs> it gave me a bachelor's and a master's. And so now um, I'm going on again. But, you know, just to kind of kind give that that guidance and that, um, you know, that's why, like I said, I'm, I'm making my seniors get connected with mentors. We're going to be looking up fellowships, things like that to that's help cool. them with, you know, going to technical schools. Tennessee has a great program where you can go to a technical school for free. And so you wow. can get your welding certifications. You can get your automotive, you can get your, um, aviation mechanic. Um, and so, just kind of helping them 
figure out what that what it is they want to do and feel prepared. I I think it sounds amazing, and uh, and, and I love the fact that God. I just wish I had a teacher like you when I was <laughs> when I was at school because I me too. I think it would have brought brought the best out of me and having these opportunities. It's just wonderful, and and the fact that you're doing something and put, putting yourself out there, saying, "Hey, I, I'm doing this as well. I'm learning too, and and uh, and I'm trying to do something." I, I, your students are very lucky, and I hope they appreciate how lucky they are. Uh, and Thank I, you. And, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of Emily as well. We wish you all the best Absolutely. on your mission as well. Yes. Thank you yeah. so much. Yes, I'm I'm so excited, and uh, thank you guys for for having me on here. Thank no you. worries. No worries. Thank you so much <laughs> Thank for joining you so us. Much. And uh, yeah, we hope to speak to you when you get back. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When you're a little girl growing up in Akron, Ohio, did you say, gee, I'd like to be an astronaut someday? No, I really didn't think about it until about four years ago when NASA announced that they were looking for astronauts who would be uh, engineers and scientists on the space shuttle. And it was accidental that I heard about it and I just took a chance and applied. That was awesome. Uh, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so inspired right now. Um, I, I know, right? I, I really, I mean, m- my husband's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, oh, crap. But I really would love <laughs> to do something like that. I think that'd be awesome. I'm not an engineer. You know, I'm really just somebody with an interest in aerospace. But um, I, that just sounds so interesting to me. You know, I am interested in sort of lately I've been interested in the history of sort of analog missions, like missions that did not go to space, but they contributed a great deal to space flight in their own way. Yeah. So, um, and I really need to dive deeper into that whole subject because, I mean, that, honestly, somebody could write a book about that. I mean, if you really wanted to break it down into all the different programs there have been, you could probably dig up a lot. And there were, I mean, there was a lot starting probably, God, in the, as early as the 60s, you know? I mean, maybe yeah. earlier than that, I, I know I would have to do more research, but that's a really a neat topic to delve into how, like, um, sort of Earth simulations inspire what happens in space flight and vice versa, you know, because there are so many spinoffs, as Brittany talked about, you know, from space flight throughout the throughout all the decades we've been doing space flight that really have helped us on Earth. And we don't even really think about it. My new job is fully remote. And today I was thinking about that. Like, could you imagine in the 80s working remote? I know. Yeah, without yeah. without seeing anybody. Well, you and I have never been in the same country, and yet we've recorded fifty episodes of a podcast together. Right. You, you know, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Right. We've almost been doing this for oh my god, a year now, and yeah, and yeah. we've never met in real life. You know, and yeah, it's just nuts. And you don't, yeah, just almost like we don't need to. It would be lovely one day, but I you hope know. so. Yeah. <laughs> we do eventually once all this yeah. mess clears up once the lights come back on at my house yeah <laughs> um now back to analog missions you have released a blog this week which is also relevant to this conversation we've had with Brittany this week and it it ties in with the past and obviously this is part of your uh, your space in the 70 series you've discovered uh a, a full female crew that was put together for an analog mission in the seventies and written about that, which I had no idea about and is super fascinating. Yeah. Uh, there's a excellent book and I, I give a lot of credit to these guys. These are like the OG elder statesmen of space historians, uh, David Shaler and Colin Burgess. They've written on both of them have done a number of spectacular books, which you should get, but they did a book called NASA scientist astronauts and it focuses a lot on the first scientist astronauts who happen to be all male. 
uh, from the 1965 and 67 astronaut classes, and they were all guys. But there is a fascinating um, section, and it's about um, Space Lab, not Skylab, uh, Space Lab analogs that were beginning to be held in the early 70s. And I'll explain a little bit about what Space Lab was. It was a uh, joint project between uh, ESA, the European Space Agency, and the United States. And basically, in ESA's last package deal, they made it so the Germans would have to build a space lab and we would have to fly some of their astronauts aboard it. So it was sort of like we they would supply the hardware and we in exchange, we would fly their people aboard space lab. So that was sort of, you know, the genesis of the program. So in the early 70s um, in Huntsville, uh, there started to be like high fidelity mockups built of of what space lab would look like, you know, to the dimensions of the space shuttle and things like that. But in 19, uh, December, 1974, there was a space lab analog, uh, held and it was crewed by four women in 1974. Um, Yes. I mean, that's just crazy. You don't think of women being involved in the space program in America until the end of the seventies. I had no idea about this. I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah. And they were scientists. Um, and it really flies in the face. There's kind of still this mentality that, well, women weren't qualified to fly in space until 1978 when they selected mm. the first U.S. astronauts. And that's really not true. Um, I, honestly, as a historian, there was really no reason women couldn't have flown in space um, during the Apollo era. If a guy like, um, hey, Ed, I love you. Uh, if a man like Dr. Ed Gibson, who was a physicist, could be trained to fly an airplane, um, there's no reason a woman couldn't do the same thing, really. Absolutely. There's no reason why. And I think Ed would agree with that. I think most men from that time would agree with that. Yeah, so I was looking into this uh, this project, and it was a five-day analog, and it was held in Huntsville, Alabama. I believe there was a EVA portion of this uh, analog, and they went out and scuba gear, you know, to sort of simulate, you know, spacewalking. There were 11 experiments that they worked on. And um, one of the final reports, it was basically like, you know, due to the knowledgeable, the knowledgeable scientist crew, there were two, I think it was two experiments were rescued from basically failing during the beginning of the, the analog. So these women didn't just do a good job. They did a, they did a fantastic job. And I think that speaks to, you know, the spirit of what's going on now with high seas and and with the ISS, you know, we've seen throughout yeah. the last few decades, you know, diverse crews, you know, not just women. We've had, all, you know, all sorts of different people, different nationalities um, aboard the space shuttle, uh, the Mir space station and the ISS. They've done just fine and they've uh, advanced the field quite a bit. And high seas now is doing the same thing. You know, they're doing Earth analogs. I honestly believe what they're doing on Earth really is contributing to what's going to happen in space because we need people to know what's going to happen if we live on the moon or if we live on Mars. Yeah. You know, we need people like Brittany to tell us what that's going to be like. Yeah. So my article, I did kind of do it as a tie into this show to basically show, you know, women doing analogs is not a new thing. And we need that to sort of move on into the future. How great is it to know that you've got teachers like Brittany out there 
and that, that there are students in her class looking at her being inspired by a female engineer doing an analog mission in Hawaii, go, going all the way to Hawaii to do it and the people she's working with and all this kind of stuff. And she's your high school teacher. That's cool. That is really cool. And she's not there from any form of tokenism. She's there because she's qualified and she 100% should be there and doing this. Yeah. And not only that, she's doing it to inspire students. I mean, it's just nuts. It's just so inspiring. And I'm so glad that we got to speak to her about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't think we've, I don't think this mission, this high seas mission is by far the last we'll see of Brittany. I think, I, I believe she's going to be a teacher in space. I, yeah, me we'll too. We'll see her orbiting the Earth in a few years, and I can't wait. And we'll have her on the show again. So that'll be awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Friend of the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait. Um, but yeah, so analog missions, I, I hope this has given you a bit of a taste of, of what an analog mission is. Um, there, there are a lot more extreme versions of this as well. Some of the things I've, I've heard about are really crazy uh, that, that some people put themselves through in order to, for people to, to learn about what's going to happen on these longer duration missions. But this is still really cool. And they can't even go outside unless they're wearing a spacesuit. It's yep. nuts. It's all those kind of things. It's just crazy. But I love that it's going on. So the full unedited version of that interview is going to be up on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash space and things. And we'll have links to Britney's social media and the high C social media in the show notes. So you can go and check them out uh, because They'll be posting updates over the next two weeks uh, from Mars. From Mars. I can't wait to see these updates. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and to, and to see what Brittany's up to over the next couple of weeks. So make sure you're following along. And those notes will be in your podcast provider or on our website, which is spaceandthingspodcast.com. Oh, I love it. I love it. So uh, this is Dave in edit mode, uh, dropping in here, um, because it completely escaped our attention this week that uh, NASA is actually recruiting for a year-long simulated Mars mission. So in the show notes, I'm also going to provide a link to that, because uh, if you've enjoyed hearing what you've, you've heard here and want to get involved with an official NASA one lasting a whole year, and it's set to start in the in the autumn of 2022, um, then uh, you might want to apply for this. Anyway... A link will be in the show notes. You know, I think it's a wonderful time for human spaceflight because I think we finally recognize that it's not worth going unless we go together, that it's important to not turn away any innovative idea, that everyone has a role and everyone has a place at the table as we move forward. If we're going to go for all humanity and to support humanity's love for exploration, then we have to do it with all humanity. And I think we're seeing that as our plans unfold for going back to the moon, seeing the first woman walk on the moon in 2024, and just recognizing that we have to go together if we're going to go and we're going to do it right. And so on to this week's news. Since we last recorded, there have been two launches by the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, uh, placing some communication satellites into orbit. Uh, I'll also put links and videos in our show notes, as always. And we're recording this on Tuesday, the 10th of August. And assuming all is okay, Northrop Grumman are launching a resupply ship to the International Space Station later today from Wallops Flight Facility in Virginia. So if that takes place, I will also include that within the show notes. And if not, I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Speaking of the International Space Station, uh, following the spacecraft emergency that we spoke about last week, both NASA and Russia have come out saying that the space partnership remains strong despite the incident. 
There continues to be a lot of fallout around this event, and let's hope that they can learn from this and make sure it doesn't happen again. Absolutely. Also, one of my favorite things that has happened hap- in a while happened this week, and that was <laughs> the astronauts and cosmonauts on board got into the Olympic spirit and they had a bit of fun up there. Uh, they had a synchronized swimming competition with the Dragon crew taking on the Sawyer's crew. And uh, in my opinion, the Dragon crew were much more in sync. Uh, but Make sure you check out the video of this because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, And it was also great to see that the space station featured in the closing ceremony of the Olympic Games as well. Uh, Obviously, the current games were in Japan and the next games are in France. And so there was a nice handover from uh, Akihiko Hoshide to Tomar Pesquet, uh, who also played the French national anthem on his saxophone in front of the cupola with all the whole world going behind him. As an Olympics nut and as a space nerd, this was perfection for me. Yeah, seeing uh, the uh, the French anthem being played with uh, in space, I I kind of got I I got chills. That's really that's really cool. I was like, wow, they really pulled out all the stops for that. You can't get better than space, so that's really cool. Absolutely, and you know what? I really like the fact that the organizers thought about this as well. There was no one in the stadium to watch these ceremonies, so they were they were streamed events. Uh, it was really important they connected with the people who were watching at home. So why not use the International Space Station? Especially when you got a Japanese and a French guy there. It was just perfect. It was yep. absolutely perfect. It was. I agree. We've also got news about Boeing Starliner capsule, which was due to launch over the last few weeks on a test flight that hopefully would have seen it uh, ready to take a crew on its next flight. Well, Well, as we reported last week, Uh, There were some technical issues which delayed the launch and it's now moved back to the hangar as they try to fix 13 valves in the vehicle's propulsion system. However, they say they're still working towards an August launch. Uh, They're currently just trying to verify the root causes of those issues before sending Starliner back to the launch pad. Meanwhile, in the solar system, we've got a few flybys going on this week. Yesterday, that's Monday the 9th of August, the Parker Solar Probe made its ninth dive past the sun, getting as close as 6.5 million miles from the surface, traveling at 330,000 miles per hour. 6.5 million miles seems a long way away but that's so close in terms of the sun. Um, Oh, yeah. So it's been hoping to find out why the sun's atmosphere is so much hotter than the surface and also to find the origins of solar wind, which is a constant stream of charged particles which travel across our solar system. Also yesterday, the Joint Solar Orbiter Probe, which is by... NASA and ESA, the European Space Agency, also performed a flyby, not of the sun, but of Venus, uh, which will also have another flyby from Bepi Colombo today as we're recording, uh, which is Bepi Colombo is a joint effort from ESA and JAXA. And that mission is heading to Mercury. So while Venus is not the primary focus for either of those missions, they're both flying past Venus to use the gravity to help them on their way. But scientists are also using these close flypaths of Venus with the hope of getting some photos of the areas of Venus we haven't seen before, but mainly to collect data on the magnetic and plasma environment of Venus. Pretty cool. That is cool. Staying in the solar system, but headed to Mars, Ingenuity, uh, the Mars helicopter completed another flight. That's 11 now for those who are counting. This flight was to move the helicopter to a new base 
where it will try and observe a different area of the Jezero crater, which might want to be explored by Perseverance, its rover. And talking of Percy, on Friday, it drilled its first sample collecting hole. However, for some reason, when they inspected the sampling tube, it was empty. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, te- <laughs> the team are busy trying to figure out what happened so they can get it right next time. Uh, Percy has 43 different sampling tubes, and they were hoping to fill 20 of them. So while this is not a disaster, I'm sure they were hoping they get it right the first time, as the rest of the mission does appear to have been pretty going pretty well so far. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's hope they figure that out, because uh, we want to get a sample. We want to get a sample. Yes, yes. So back on Earth, SpaceX have stacked Starship on top of its massive super heavy booster for the first time. And in doing so, have created the world's tallest rocket as they gear up for their first orbital flight of Starship. So this is bigger than the Saturn V was, which took humans to the moon for the first time back in the 60s. And it looks incredibly impressive. And there have been some stunning photos published by SpaceX of this rocket. It's not currently known when this first orbital flight attempt will be, but SpaceX founder Elon Musk has announced that there are four significant items required before they are ready to fly. So Starship will eventually be used as a two-stage transportation system to send humans and cargoes to the moon, Mars, and perhaps even further. And it will be fully reusable. So we've talked about this a number of times before, but yeah, this uh, is now stacked onto the top of this massive rocket, and it's huge. Yeah, the photos are just mind-blowing. I I don't think I've wrapped my head around them yet. Yeah, same. Oh my gosh. And finally, while talking about SpaceX, the crew of the Inspiration4 mission have been stepping up their training and posting some wonderful images for all of us to see. This mission is scheduled to launch in September and will be the first orbital flight with exclusively private citizens on board. Uh, We've talked so much about this mission before, and we're very excited about it. But the big news this week is that there will be who? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) sorry about that. A thunderstorm. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love that. The big news this week. Bang! (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. That was like right. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Wow. Um, I'm afraid to say that again. Wow. (laughs) The big news this week is that there will be a multi-part Netflix documentary about the mission in which we will get to learn more about the crew and see all the behind-the-scenes footage before, during, and after the three-day mission. And I believe today the Time cover, or on the cover of Time magazine, got dropped. I just saw that. Just saw that. So cool. That is awesome. This is exactly what we were hoping for for this mission, wasn't it? That actually it got picked up by mainstream media. Yeah, I was hoping it would inspire regular people, and it seems like it's getting out there, which is awesome. And... I still stand by what we talked about, you know, when we first reported this, you know, I'm I'm so excited to see, you know, a, a, someone who survived cancer aboard this because that gives that gives me a lot of hope that, OK, you know, when you hear that word, you feel like, OK, my life's over the way I knew it. But it's not. It, it's like that gives me so much hope, you know, so yeah. I cannot wait to see this. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited for this. Really excited. That's all we've got for this week. We hope you've enjoyed episode 50 and that you continue to stay with us for the next 50 and beyond. Um, Thank you for all your support. 
Uh, whether you've hit the share button, donated money to us, purchased merchandise, joined our Patreon, uh, given us a review, or listened to an episode or two, it really has been so much fun doing this. And having the support we've had is extremely gratifying and will enable us to keep going and going. Yeah, it's, it's really been quite something. And we think we're just getting started here as well. So uh, we, we hope we continue to improve and make the show better and better for you. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you stream. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions. <laughs>